All right, Joshua chapter 10 and following. So uh, those of you that have not been to uh, morning uh, services, uh, uh, I'll just put in a plug. I thought uh, Pastor Burke just did a really nice job with the application of some of the scriptures he had today, um, especially as revolves around another current events uh, going on. So um, look look forward to that. Um, really, uh, really enjoyed that. Um, all right. So um, as Daddy said, uh, in recent weeks, um, we've seen a lot about the uh, early phases of Joshua's uh, ministry, and which you may not think about it as the ministry of conquest, but uh, I guess that's really what it was. And um, we did see a lot of detail there. We saw right the uh, chapter about uh, the fall of Jericho, and then we saw, of course, uh, that great victory was followed by great defeat uh, at at uh, I or AI, and um, then uh, they dealt with the sin in the camp, and then back to victory, and then, you know, a stumble there with the taken in by the Gibeonites and this whole uh, focus on the early phase of his his work there. And um, uh, it's almost like uh, Joshua as a leader is kind of getting his footing. And and then um, as, uh, as you guys covered uh, with Mike last week, uh, talking about the um, uh, king of Jerusalem and gathering up people to... Um, uh, really go up against this this force that was making such progress there. And um, so uh, we're just going to kind of walk through um, uh, a, just a, a quick overview of what you guys did at 10 to kind of give us a running start uh, toward 11 and 12. So this is a real change <laughs> for me to, uh, we're going to blast through uh, parts of three chapters here. So uh, uh, this will this will be really different <laughs> for me. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, um, uh, again, as, as you guys uh, looked at last time, um, on, the, on the heels of the Gibeonite covenant, which, of course, was kind of tainted with the, uh, with the uh, deception there, but if you look back in chapter 9, verse 1, uh, we have... Uh, the connecting point for, for what happens next. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 9, As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea, toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So they realized that, you know, this one-on-one -on -one thing wasn't working if you were not... Joshua and his crew. So they so, said, okay, well, let's get together. We've got this invader coming, and it's not looking good so far, so let's, let's get together on this thing and, uh, and see what we can happen. Uh, so that was what was going on. And then, and then we hear the, Gibeons, the, the Gibeonites' response to this. They, they decided they were going to take a different approach, and that's all of uh, the rest of chapter 9. Of course, we, we heard about that. So then verse 10 of, I mean, verse 1 of chapter 10 picks up the story again, um, king of Jerusalem, etc., etc. Now he's going to uh, get these other groups together and, um, and go through, and uh, you guys heard the story. Y'all talked about the hailstorm and all that last time, right? 
Um, you covered the, the sun standing still. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, I'm not sure what your study said about that, Mike, but... Um, yeah, I, I, that's, that's pretty much where I am on this. Um, Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still. Not your average prayer. Um, sun stood still. And uh, there you go. Um, I, pretty much all I have to say on it, too. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there's been people speculate about all this. You know, uh, was an eclipse? No, that's not really what the Bible says. Did the, did the earth stop rotating? That'd be kind of weird. Um, certainly God could stop it from rotating, but, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I believe in a God that lives way outside of space and time, and he can pretty much do what he wants, and if he wanted just to press pause for a while, uh, I think that was not a big step for him. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure the significance of it, but uh, there you go. Sun stood still that day. Um, all right, and uh, did you guys talk about the five kings? I meant to go over this ahead of you. Stop, <clears throat> Stop right about there. The Going to got to the cave. All right, so here we are in verse 16. Um, the five kings, now this is right, because they, the, the armies have been whooped up on in part by the Israelites, but mainly by this barrage of hailstones from God. Where are the leaders? The leaders are not out in front of the army. <laughs> um, this is how much, um, how much confidence they had in their ability to go up against Joshua and the God of Israel. They are just in their command bunker uh, in the cave at Makeda. Uh, verse 17, and it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in a cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave, set men by it to guard them, but don't stay there, pursue your enemies, attack their rear guard, do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord God has given them into your hands. So uh, he says, uh, he seals them up and uh, says, you know, I'm going to come back and, and deal with you later. Uh, stay on task, uh, finish, finish what you're going to do. And uh, uh, so they, they do that, and I don't know if it was Joshua just thinking, you know, well, you know, the army's doing their thing. They're pursuing the other army. I'm close to Makeda. I might as well go take it too. So he says, okay, um, I think I'll go capture their um, town uh, since I'm in the neighborhood. <clears throat> and uh, verse 28 says, as for Makeda, Joshua captured it on that day and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. And uh, all done. And um, just happened to be there. So, well, I got to do this. You know, it's kind of, it's got this checklist. Eh, might as well. I'm close. Um, so that was, uh, that was the end of Makeda. They don't even know where that is anymore. So uh, verse 22, uh, there's an interesting passage, which uh, I think we'll, I'll come back and, and talk about in a minute. But, uh, we're definitely going to be big picture oriented here. So, so let's just kind of march through what happens. So he deals, and I guess this is Bert's drawing here from Wednesday. Uh, so we're going to take advantage of it. He's given us permission to share the marker board. But this works out great. Um, I don't know what he was really talking about here, but uh, this is pretty much um, 
the, this is kind of modern day Israel, if you guys have been seeing the maps. So this is what's called the West Bank. West, this is the Jordan River here. Uh, you got your West Bank, and there's this little carve out through parts of Jerusalem. Uh, Dead Sea, Sea of Galilee, what's called the Golan Heights, Gaza Strip, and uh, these places in yellow are kind of the uh, uh, kind of contested areas, you might say. I think Israel pretty much has a Golan Heights nailed down pretty well, don't they? Uh, and of course, uh, a lot of Palestinian um, occupation in those two areas. And then here you have uh, the rest, which would be kind of modern-day political uh, Israel. So if we flash back a few thousand years, you had um, Joshua crossing the Jordan and taking care of uh, Jericho and Ai and all, you know, this area here. Well, chapter 10 pretty much talks about him dealing with the area to the south. All right, so that's pretty much happens in, in these five kings that we're talking about. Pretty much takes care of this. And here we have, this was your diagram, Mike? Awesome. Uh, and th these are all laid out. And you see all, all the details here? Perfect. Chapter 11, pretty much, he deals with this area up in the north. Uh, that's all of 11, all right? 12 is listing all that he did. There we go. 10, 11, or 12. So um, the, the pattern was pretty much the same, though. Um, just like he did here, where... Uh, the, the kings get together and they go out to meet Joshua and have battle and Joshua takes care of the armies and then goes to the towns and wipes out the towns. Same thing happens up here. The king of who's it, Hazor, give him credit here, yep, Jabin, the king of Hazor, um, he gathers his buddies and this, he's got a lot of buddies and they got a lot of army Josephus said like 300,000, which, you know, Josephus was a thousand or so years away from the action as well, so I don't know how accurate that is, but uh, not only did they have an army, they had chariots. And this was, you know, if you, those of you history buffs, uh, you really raise your game in terms of battle technology if you go to cavalry, uh, horses, and, and then uh, chariots. Um, but God told them how to deal with that. And um, so they took care of the army, and then they went and took care of the towns. So same process. Oh, here's an army. Let's deal with that. Okay, now we got the mop-up operation. We've already dealt with the, op with the uh, army. Now we just need to go to the towns and wipe them off. And, of course, the way the Bible puts it, they were devoted to destruction, right? That means they were set aside to be wiped out. And that's pretty much what happens. Um, and then... The, the important verse in, in chapter 12, if you flip over, there's two parts. Verse 1, Now these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, blah, blah, blah. And then jump to verse 24. In all, 31 kings. 
in all 31 kings. So, um, so that's the that's the big idea. Um, so let's call out a few highlights uh, from these passages. Um, Mike may have mentioned this, um, chapter 10, verse 1. Um, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem. That's the first time in the Bible that we see Jerusalem mentioned. Um, may have also mentioned Jerusalem wasn't captured wasn't occupied by God's people until David took it. Which there's a lot between Joshua and David. So I find that interesting. The Jebusites had Jerusalem and for whatever reason it was it was not taken. Uh, I thought that was just kind of a, an interesting point I wanted to make. Alright, so you know what's what's my challenge been to myself over the over our our uh, Joshua study? Where's Jesus, right? Um, so, this is a hard one. But again, um, here's, here's the way I, I put it together. And once again, we see uh, Jesus um, uh, in the life of Joshua. And of course, we know that Joshua is what they call a type of Christ. Um, and uh, here's the way I kind of wrote it out. I said, the initiation of Jesus' ministry was marked by ceremony. His baptism by John the recognition by God that he was his beloved son. The start of Joshua's work was also marked by ceremony and recognition. Crossing of the Jordan, recognition and exaltation by God. Um, it was Joshua 4.14, he says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses. So we have God's public exaltation of Joshua, uh, recalling how God... Uh, publicly recognized Jesus. Uh, there was the placing of memorials, uh, fresh consecration and circumcision of a new generation. All of those things marked the start of Joshua's ministry. Um, then what did Joshua do? He went all over the promised land doing what God instructed him to do. What did Jesus do? He went all over the promised land doing what God had instructed him to do. Um, the important thing, neither man finished, neither one stopped before they finished what God had assigned, to, had assigned them to do. But both of them left work that was to be done after. Joshua completed what he had been tasked with. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. In both cases, it was the completion of a phase. And of course we know that, and it's only appropriate, that Jesus, the new Joshua, is going to be the one to finally finish what the first Joshua started, right? And, and that's, that has yet to be done, but... I think we see that these are instances where we can see the commitment by God to see his plan work out like it is supposed to work out. And just as God was faithful in accomplishing all those things through Joshua, I think it can increase our faith that in spite of all the turmoil going on now, 
that God is going to finish through Jesus what he started. And um, so that was, uh, that was Jesus for me. Um, all right. Um, so let's talk about a few things. Now, as I read uh, in the different commentaries and so forth, um, I came across uh, an analysis of these particular passages from um, uh, a commentary by um, Dr. Boyce in his commentary on Joshua. And uh, I want to quote him at length because I think uh, his take on this is very helpful. And the perspective that he takes is this is a great time as we're kind of wrapping up these battles. This is a great time to look at the leadership qualities of Joshua. So he lists six statements of the leadership qualities of Joshua that I think are very useful. So, uh, and again, uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is not my material. Uh, number one, he says, Joshua did not let short-term gains deter him from deter? Deter. Deter? Okay. My linguist consultant over here. Uh, Joshua did not let short-term gains deter him from long-range objectives. And the illustration he uses is with the kings in the cave. He takes the kings, and what does he say? Put them away. Seal up the door. Nobody needs to stand guard. They're not going anywhere. You guys get back on track. Go finish what you started. This was great. We got the kings. Yay. This is not the main objective. Stick with the main objective. And I think that's a great point. Joshua did not let short-term gains deter him from long-range objectives. Number two, and we'll go back to chapter 10 and pick up this story. Joshua understood the need others have for visible encouragement. Now, it is a it is a great Bible teacher that can come up with that line from this passage. Joshua understood the need others have for visible encouragement. So the account that he, that he is using for his illustration is, uh, again, with the kings, uh, Joshua 10.22. So let's look at that briefly. It says, Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And when they brought these kings, those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. Now picture this. Pull them out. You know, I'm sure spear points are going down and they're saying, get down. And he tells his commander, come put your foot on the neck of these kings. This was, you know, Jesus taught in pictures and stories. Uh, this was a real visible thing. Um, and it says, letter part 24, then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. 
be strong and courageous. How many times have we heard, be strong and courageous, right? Started with chapter 1 and we still are hearing, be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Can you imagine the next time they're in a tough spot in battle and they think back to those early days of conquest, perhaps when it was really low, maybe when they had been routed by the small band of folks at I, and they were feeling pretty down, some future battle, they're worried, and their minds want to go back to their last defeat, but instead they remember this picture. I had my foot on the neck of this king because God brought him to that point. God is not going to leave me now. And I think that's a great picture um, to illustrate his point that people need visible encouragement. And I think one of our challenges in a world that is dominated by images and stories and hype is every now and then when God gives us an opportunity to really drive home a point to ourselves, to our friends and family, to try to try to make it mean something. And um, I think, you know, I'm going to remember this picture for myself. The next time things get a little tight, you know, what problem am I facing that I might feel defeated about but in Christ, I can have my foot on the neck of that problem. I think that's, that's pretty cool, uh, and I was really grateful that he brought that uh, point out. Um, and I better pick up the pace. Uh, number three, uh, Joshua took no shortcuts, but pursued the campaign in logical step-by-step -step progression. Joshua took no shortcuts, but pursued the campaign in a logical step-by-step -step progression. Um, it kind of speaks for, for himself, but there was method in what he did. We talked about this approach. Get your guys ready. Go meet the army. They're ganging up on you. Go to the towns. Wipe out the towns. Right? Go back. Rest up. Okay. Let's make another charge. Um, he was learning. God was teaching him how to be a good leader, how be, to be a good commander. And part of that was just make it play out. Um, you know, there are some people who are good planners. Um, I know some of them. Uh, I'm not necessarily one of them. Um, but then there are people that can execute the plan, who can stick with the program, let's make it happen, let's carry the ball forward. And Joshua was, was that guy. Uh, number four, Joshua did not allow his early errors to unsettle or defeat him. Um, we know what the errors are, right? We've talked about those already. Um, but he, he picked himself up. God's help, uh, went back to the source, got re-empowered and learned from his mistakes and was able to go forward. Um, Satan was around in Joshua's day. 
don't you think that Satan loved to whisper doubt into Joshua's ear just as he does us Joshua I mean uh, the Satan is never going to remind us of our successes he's never going to remind us of those times when God came through for us what's he going to do he's going to remind us of the of the times when we had a, a failure the times when we didn't do it right the times when we just made a mess of things that's the voice that you don't want to listen to um, Joshua was able to tune that out and to move on number five from pastor Boyce he says Joshua believed God implicitly and then he goes on to quote uh, pastor R.C. Sproul who says there is a great difference between believing in God and believing God or maybe a better emphasis should say a great difference from believing in God and believing God it says many people will say that they believe in God admit that he exists but they do not believe him they do not believe what he says Joshua believed God and like all heroes of the faith he acted on that belief um, and I think that's probably something that we probably battle with because we have probably no, probably to it uh, compared to all other history we have more knowledge of God there was no such thing as a Christian bookstore probably even a hundred years ago maybe not even 50 years ago there's no such thing as a Christian bookstore probably maybe on a seminary campus perhaps um, the internet is full of lots of information lots of knowledge but is our connection with God any closer than the people who were connected with God connect Jesus thousands of years ago no um, and I, I would say that we need to be careful that our knowledge about God doesn't get in the way of our knowledge of God um, and I, I'm speaking to myself about this because I like the knowledge part, right? But I can really be humbled in my office times when, when I get preached to, not on purpose, but, but it, it ministers to me when I see someone, as I often do, who maybe doesn't have the educational background, but as they talk about their faith, and I know they're a little further down the road than I am on that. And, uh, and, and we need to be uh, good stewards of the knowledge that we have and, and maybe up our game on the part about believing God will do what he says he can do and believe in what God uh, can do uh, in and through us. Number six, uh, Joshua obeyed completely. And he calls out um, in chapter 11, verse 15, This is after he has wiped out Hazor, the, the leader of the northern contingent. Uh, verse 14, it says, And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every man they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, and they did not leave any who breathed. 
Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And he says, in my opinion, this is the most important thing that is said about Joshua in the entire book. So Joshua did. And um, that, that wouldn't be a bad epitaph for any leader, right? Or any Christian, for that matter. Uh, you know, uh, having received my command, um, that I could say, and so Art did. Uh, this is very similar phrasing to what we hope to hear one day, right? Well done. You know, well done. Um, all right. So, uh, the, the uh, outline that I've been using in Joshua, um, I've, I've been using to kind of force me to be a little bit more methodical myself. So I, I, I always like to think about, okay, what's the application here? And uh, these are some things that I put. I said, we may not think of it as dramatically as we think of Joshua, but just as God chose him, God has chosen us. We each have been given a task, and it's probably overwhelming at times. It might be dealing with job insecurity. It might be dealing with the challenge of raising your children with a Christian legacy in mind in the face of an increasingly dark culture. It might be praying for years for the salvation of a friend. It might be serving in a Wednesday night ministry for essentially no recognition this side of heaven. But whatever it is, we should follow the principles that we've seen in Joshua's life. And you could add to this list, but first of all, we've got to be willing. We've got to pray about it. We saw what happened to Joshua and we didn't consult God. We need to do things God's way. We saw that. We should expect it to be a challenge, right? Um, this, was, this was not easy. We should expect it to be a challenge. I don't think God is going to ask anything less of us than he asked of Joshua. And then finally, or I guess not finally, but my next point I said, don't be stupid. <laughs> uh, use your common sense. And this, I, these next ones I think Joshua really did well. He kept showing up. He prepared. And he worked hard. And, you know, that's... If you don't do at least those things, um, yeah. And then finally, recognize that you will probably not have the last word. Someone else will be building on your foundation. And um, I think that's, you know, as, as we talk about what Joshua finished, but then what was unfinished. You know, uh, no matter how great we are, if the Lord tarries, somebody else is going to be picking up the baton wherever we left it. So we need to at least do our part to make it a strong foundation. All right, comments? All right, could you?
you expand a little bit on Joshua being a type of Christ? Um, yeah. So that's a um, yeah. So that's um, that's a good point. That is a word that you'll come across in certain commentaries and theologies and so forth. What they call a type is basically a uh, a symbol. They don't mean that Joshua was in somehow part of uh, Christ, um, but that he was a symbol, almost like a foreshadowing of Christ. Okay? You could say that perhaps um, uh, some of the early prophets may have, uh, and the early preachers may have um, uh, been a foreshadowing of, uh, or... Exactly, like Elijah and John the Baptist. Um, so when they say, uh, we see this in Romans, where we talk about um, Adam and the new Adam. You know, um, in some ways, Adam was a type of Christ. There were some things about Adam that foreshadowed the new Adam, the 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 head of a of a of a new group of God's people. Joseph. Um, Joseph is another good example. Uh, Joseph. Uh, you know, was protector of, of his family. And, uh, you know, Moses was the, the redeemer. You know, all of those are, are pictures of examples, part, yeah. examples yeah. Of, Christ. of Christ. But well, I it actually, it, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's, I'm struggling to explain it because it, it is kind of hard to explain. It's not that they were like him, really, it's almost more like Jane was saying that they're representatives um, where we can, as we read, and you've, you've been aware of this concept, it just maybe hasn't been called it before. But in all the great stories of the Old Testament, we see stories like Joshua, and we know that, that Christ brought out the fullness of of that leadership, of that conquest of the land. Um, we see where um, Jesus was the better Moses in terms of redeeming his people. We see where Jesus was the better Noah, who is going to gather us all and take us to safety. Uh, we see us where uh, Jesus is the better Boaz, who was the kinsman redeemer. Um, in all those ways, those are like types of Christ. We see Jesus as the better David, who's going to be the king, uh, ultimately, and reign on his throne. Uh, those are all pictures of who Christ ultimately will be um, uh, in, in his fruition. Characteristics. Joshua delivered the people from the wilderness right. to the promise. And that's what Jesus does with our sins. Right. And I wonder if maybe the reason that the Jewish people don't understand Jesus as Messiah is because they were expecting him to be more like Joshua. Yeah. Victorious battle mm-hmm. instead of victorious over spiritual yeah. battle. Uh, we see, we see um, uh, Isaac 
as a type of the Father God sacrificing His Son who carried His own wood up on the mountain to be crucified. Uh, those are all reflections and stories and in theological speak, they call it a type. Um, a type. T-Y-P-E. So when, when we, if I get carried away and use that terminology that Joshua is a type of Christ, I don't mean that the way we normally use the word type. Okay? Um, it's, I think Jane may have had the best one word uh, synonym, and that is an example of a part of who Christ is. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure I did it justice. You did. Um, part of the master plan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and I always come back to that last chapter in Luke. Uh, I know it's one of Daddy's favorite passages, but when Jesus sat down with those people after the resurrection, and it says, and he went back and starting with Moses, he went through the Old Testament, told, him, told them about himself. I think that's what he was doing. He was saying, you know how Moses and the Lamb and the Passover, that was talking about me. And, and you know how J Joshua conquered the land and, and the promised land and out of the wilderness? That was talking about me. And you know how David was going to be king? That was talking about me. So all those little types of Christ, um, pictures of Christ, examples of who Christ was going to be. You're just kind of stumbling on the word. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't like the type of Christ because to me there's only one Christ. Right. It's, it's like I said, it's, a, well, it's more of a scholarly word. Yeah. So we'll blame them. Yes, but don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I think, it's, I think it's great because it is our job to try to make this stuff accessible. And so I, I, I'm really grateful that you made that point because I think it, um, I think it, it, it it's just a, a great point, a great concept, and maybe if I can find something that better explains it, I'll try to do it. But I'll try not to do that anymore. Uh, let's let's pray, Father. Oh, you got one more. All the men. Oh yeah. Sing. All the men go to the men's choir. Oh, one more. Yeah, Pat. Exactly. You know, they were strong in one particular area, but Christ had it all covered. Perfect. Leave it to a teacher to wrap things up. <laughs> Father, we thank you that you are all those things and more to us, and help us to be those things to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.